Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Um, yes, we're starting a new series today. Um, you excited to start a new series? Yes. Amen, amen. Let's start reading now. One, two, three, go. Amen. This first installment of our series uh, on the family, shaping generations, plural, shaping generations. Today, I want to talk about the creation of family. Somebody say the creation of family. family. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you and honor you for this new series that we're going to be going through for some time. And God, I'm praying that you would uh, help us to see the glory in your creation and what you created. What is your idea? And Lord God, I pray that by your grace and by your mercy that you would uh, administer to us what's needed to be biblical families and to be able to impact generation upon generation upon generation because of the renewing work of Jesus Christ. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. 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 You may be seated. You may be seated. It's interesting, after all these years, we've, we, we've, we've done a series on manhood, and we've done a series on womanhood, but we haven't yet done a series on family. So um, buckle up, because it's going to be 20 weeks. So 20 weeks. Is that okay? Yeah. Well, if it's okay or not, I'm still going to do it. So, um, <laughs> But, but um, 20 weeks, and we're going to really work through some things. And one of the things that I want to be careful of is making sure that singles don't feel left out of it. Because sometimes when talking about family, singles can not feel like they're a part of one. And so we want to, um, um, I promise I won't go ask for amens no more. I'm going to just let them, you, amen or not, it's okay. I'm going to just preach, amen. Um, and so um, anyway, I'm, I, I have to recondition myself to, to do that. So I'll have to catch myself a few times. But um, this series, we're going to talk about everything from um, the, the singles role in family, all the way to uh, a man's role as a man, whether single or married. 
in a family, uh, a woman's role in family, whether single or married, the vision of a household, how to start a family, how to not be afraid to court somebody that has substance. Amen. I didn't ask for the amen. I just was, you know, but you know, hey. Um, just, um, just wanting to work through all of that and see God work in our church. Um, because the purpose of this series is to disciple the church in understanding and living out of God's purposes in the broken and restored structure of family. Since family is where our significance, dignity, and identity are first and primarily shaped, we seek the transformative power of Jesus Christ to be placed at the center. Somebody say at the center. At the center of our families, there is no other place that shapes generations like homes. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to seek and to submit to God in our lives so that we can be shining lights to God's glory as families that make up the body of Christ. And so as we dive into this family series and we begin to look at even the book of Genesis, we see that the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. And as we look at the book of beginnings, before there was a church, before there was an Israel, there was the family. And we'll begin to see this. We begin to see God's intentions for family in the beginning, then the fall of family, and then God's redemptive work to bring family back under his intentions until Christ comes and restores and redeem family. No matter who you are, whether you were adopted, whether or not you were a foster child, whether or not you were brought up in a single parent home, whether you were brought up in the home with both parents, no matter what type of home you were brought up in, we are all have broken households. No matter what side of the railroad track you come from, whether you come uh, from the flat, whether you're from Chestnut Hill or you're from Southwest Philly, everybody has an equal challenge in family. It, 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 matters, it matters not what your ethnicity is or what type of privilege or lack of privilege you grew up with. Nothing can shield you from the challenges of the fall that are in desperate need of Jesus Christ to redeem it. And so all of us, even as, as great as you think you are, if you have children, you ha are jacking them up in some way that Christ is going to need to redeem them from. And so, and so, and so, and so all of us seek to be better as even aunties or play aunties and play cousins. It, 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 family is such a core part of what God has created as the first blueprint for relationships in the world. And so as we look at the Bible in the reality, you don't have to watch VH1 and MTV and BET and OWN and A&E and Style and E. You, you, to, to find out, you don't have to look at that to see Ratchet TV. Because if you look in the Bible, you, you, I mean, if you ever been through a one-year Bible reading plan, it was some jacked up defied families. We're going to talk even in this series about rape in the family and how do we deal with rape and incest. How do we deal? How does God redeem that? How do we work through that? And what does the gospel have to do with it? 
And so today we come here talking about the creation of family, which brings me to my first point. Family is the first place we are to experience community. Family is the first place we are to experience community. God, in Genesis 1, the Bible says um, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was tohu vuvohu. It was formless and void. Now, as it was formless and void, God is so powerful. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit together as a unified entity, different persons yet distinctly unified in essence, grace, mercy, peace, justice, spirituality, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, all unified into one essence, yet distinctly three persons by his power stepped out on nothing in the expanse of his omnipresence. And as he, uh, 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 in some ways, is presented localized in his essence, he begins to speak into what didn't exist. And as God began to speak into what didn't exist, God's words are so powerful. God's words are so magnificent. God's words are so massive that when he talks to what's not there, it has to become there. In other words, God said, let there be light and light kicked darkness out of the way and said, God said, come into existence. And God said, and God, and God, and God, and God is enjoying himself because he's an artist and he's in his own uh, sort of situation where he's in his own social media, if you will. And as he's in his own sphere, he begins to talk and water just comes into existence. And he begins to talk and ground comes into existence. He begins to talk and the sun comes into existence. And then he started showing off and created the moon in such a way that it is positioned where the light from the sun hits it. And at night, it shines at night. Uh, 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 um, um, to give light at night uh, in a way that the sun gives sun in the day without having its own light, yet being far enough away from earth for it not to burn us up, to be far enough away from earth for us to not get too cold, to be far enough away from earth for it to give us fruit and development and nurturing and tans for my tanning people. In other words, God organizes the universe, and had his listening party to his album called The Universe. He, he puts on his earphones and starts rocking the earphones, thinking about all that he's created. He looks at the mountains. He looks at the animals, bobbing his head to his artistic design and his beauty. And he says, he develops the first hook in the universe. It is good. That was the first song. It is good. Everything that God created, he said, this is good. He said, he said, I mean, it's God patting himself on his cosmic back. He's the only one that can brag and be right about it and not be arrogant. That's the God I serve is the God that can talk smack, but it be real because he's not selling wolf tickets because everything he says that he is, everything he does is true and everything he does is real. That's what I love about him. That's what I love about him. I love him. I love him. I love him. He said, everything, he looked at all of it, he said, man, it's good. And then he creates man. He decides, he says, man, this is so amazing that I want to create some people that can share 
in the artistic luxury of what we've created. And he said, let us make man. He wasn't talking to the angels. The angels didn't create the universe. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were there present. Let us make man in our likeness, in our image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Blau. Equally, woman and man would be created in his image. So, in the beauty of that, we see after God creates man, he gives him a job. Gives him a job and he works. And he's working and he's not complaining. Hallelujah, while he's working. Amen. And as he's there working, God allows him to name the animals. And he's talking about giraffe, got a long neck. Said lion, lamb, you know what I'm saying, trout. Salmon, tag, whale, orca. He just, that's a dolphin, not a whale. It, anyway, my son always corrects me. <laughs> and it's not in the text anything that indicates to us that he feels some type of way. But what happens is, is God beats him to it. And the Bible says, that God looked at the man and said, it is not good that man should be alone. Stop. In other words, if man is going to truly be in God's image, he has to be what God is in his deity. Not be deity, but have the functional satisfaction that God has in a sense of being self-sufficient and enjoying community. And so what God said, it's not good for man to be about community. In other words, man not being alone isn't really about man being married. Man not being alone is about him finding community. Community is where you get the sense of belonging. Community, as Carl Ellis says it, every ethnicity needs it. No, no matter what your legacy and your brokenness, every person on the planet needs three things. Significance, dignity, and identity. Significance, dignity, and identity. Significance means, uh, uh, what is my purpose? Identity is, who am I? And dignity is, what's my value? No place like family gives you that sense of value and worth. And when he said it's not good for man to be alone, it, 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 the idea of it is man not being isolated. God did not mean for us to be isolated outside of community without the correctional measures of checks and balances to help us to be nurtured out, nurtured back into a focus outside of our individualistic foolishness. You left alone is a problem. See, see, many of us think it's not good for man to be alone. We, we think of it sexually. 
But that's not the point of the word alone here. It's more about relationship and having things affirmed. I don't know how many of us who go through counseling or have to get unearthed in our counseling sessions, significance, dignity, and identity. Because a lot of our issues and a lot of our brokenness and a lot of our challenges uh, 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 ends up being with what is my purpose, who am I, and what is my value? Because so much works against our value, so much works against our identity, and so much works against our purpose. But that's not how it was supposed to be in the beginning. Was not supposed to be that in the beginning. The family was to be the place where you found value. I remember when I was little, when I was a little, a, a little kid and... um. <clears throat> I wasn't the cool kid in the neighborhood. I was the kid. Somebody said, oh man, no, I wasn't. I wasn't, I wish I was. See, some pastors get up and lie and act like they were the coolest person in the world. I was the one, see, you know, they got talked about all the time. Eric, you so, your mother's so ugly that, <laughs> Eric, your hair's so beady that you, and you're like, dang. So all I heard was damaging information about me. And I can remember that my father was an old school dude. My father, he, he was seasoned. He had dealt with nine kids. So he, well, I was a nice. So he, he was seasoned. Back then, you know, if you, your air conditioner wasn't working, you just opened the window and let the screen keep the bugs out. So my dad's sitting in the chair with the plastic on it that my grandmama used to get. You know, the kind where you sit on and this, it sticks to you when you get up with your shorts on. <laughs> And the kids were going, I mean, it was like five to eight kids just going in on me. My dad said, come here, boy. Now, you got to understand, Mr. Mason's voice was vocally legendary on Ingraham Street. He called me in the house. And he said, why are you still out there? I said, Dad, because I'm around my friends. And he said, are they? He said, son, come here. He said, never be so pressed to be somebody's friend where you will submit yourself to damaging ridicule. He says, have enough dignity, son, to find friends who value you. <laughs> and that little piece of wisdom in my home helped me for over 40 years to begin to know. In other words, the home is where the dignity nuggets are dropped. I'm watching a series on Netflix. I try not to watch a series on Netflix, to be honest, because you get sucked in. It's just, I don't know what it is. You just watch one, and then you push pushing next, and you push it. You're like, where in the world did the time go? Right? And I'm watching this um, series on mind hunters. And it's about serial killers. And I've just started it. I know, oh gosh, right, Pastor Larry? It is an oh gosh. It really is. And one of the things that they began, it's talking about the beginnings of how they began to study the mind of serial killers. And the thing that they're finding, that they were finding, that's a common thread among serial killers is how they were verbally engaged by their parents. Mothers verbally assassinating their children's value and dignity. One of the things I've learned as a parent 
Even when my children are wrong, I have to be, watch what I say to them. Almost in tears thinking about it. I'm, I, I want to be careful while I'm disciplining them that I don't devalue them. If they're lazy, I have to be acting lazy. I have to be careful of giving them laziness as an identity based on my verbiage of discipline. Because a tongue can do more damage than a belt can ever do. And I'm trying to learn. I'm, I'm still learning at this. I got, I got some years to go. And I know he's probably going to need counseling about me. <laughs> but, I'm, but I'm working as a father to know what it's like to build community for my children. It's for them, for my daughter to understand her melanatedness and how to value it in the midst of all of the pictures that she sees and all the, the challenges that she sees. I'm trying to let her know that her hair doesn't have to be Indian to be valued. And that's no slight at my slick hair, people. Don't please. But I'm trying to figure it out and I'm trying to fight the dignity issue in my home and put value into my home to develop a sense of you're not alone. That's what this means. This idea of man, it's not good. If it was the woman first, he'd have said the same thing. If it was three people, it would have been the same thing. Why? Because the point is community is so important and the church was not the first place where identity, significance, and dignity was found. It's the home and it's the family and we can't expect the church to do for the family everything. So God says to him, it's not good for the man to be by himself. I will make a helper corresponding to him. I, I like this because I can spend the rest of the sermon on these three words. I will make. See, some of us, our problem is we're trying to make. And let me explain something to you. Anything that you make yourself, be very afraid of. Let me explain something to you. I, I, I understand that relationships build sanctification, but you can't be a person's primary disciple maker in a courtship relationship. Ladies, you can't disciple a man. Now that doesn't mean you can't invest. I'm not talking about, don't come away. See, pastor, why can't we speak? Listen, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying a man that you have to disciple into a level of maturity to be your husband is a problem. As a matter of fact, who wants to marry somebody they disciple? Okay. See, when God makes somebody, you get what you need and what you don't know you need. And so, and so, and so in that reality, I want God to make the person for me. Because there's some stuff, there's some, there's some stuff your little list 
you don't know that you need to help your crazy behind to become more like Jesus. Because, you know, our lists are limited, you know. Um, you know, I ain't going to do it to y'all. I ain't going to do it to y'all. I ain't going to do it to y'all. I'm not going to do it today. Help me today. Godly be like in the footnotes. You know, we want hair a certain way so our babies can have certain kind of hair. It's just crazy. He wanted to help her that correspond to him that was compatible but different. Now, helper doesn't mean flunky. Helper means equal partner. Helper is more for their relationship with God than it is one another. Oh, help me today, God. Because listen, the man could not do what God wanted him to do by himself. It was impossible. So God had to create a woman which was already in his mind that without a corresponding helper who is equal in value yet different in function, equal in value but different in function, equal in value but different in function, them together are a beast mode power couple. To be able to do what God called them to do together. Now, they were to be the nucleus because God put man and woman, male and female, as the etymological foundation for the culture of the family. And so with that in mind, when we look at this reality of them corresponding to each other, this helper is a person who contributes to the fulfillment and furtherance of the purposes of God. Do you choose based on sex type or purpose type? Chemistry has more to do with your flesh than the stuff. We ain't got no chemistry. That means that chemistry, I've learned what that means. Do you want to kiss them when you're always with them? We on the same wavelength, girl. We on the same wavelength. You understand what I'm saying? We on the same, I feel everything you talking about, girl. Mm. Felt it right there. Mm. Let me give you something for free. That's when I get a little bit, you know, free stuff. No, nah, never mind. Help her corresponding. Help her, <laughs> help her corresponding. And so when we look at this beautiful reality is that the woman's, the man's form and nature, I love this, are matched by the woman's as she reflects him and compliments him. Together they correspond. Lego pieces. Not sex. It's not talking about sex. It's talking about purpose. Can you, when you get married, you're linking purpose. When I'm talking purpose, I'm not merely talking about starting a business and being a boss. Oh, God, if I hear that one more time. Most of the people we look up to in culture, we look up to their appearance, not their function. 
You know, if, if I see one more person, when you, when, you, when you do your little pictures together and y'all, you know, walking together and doing all of this and carrying on, you know, and then people say, I like how y'all are as a couple. You say that based on a picture. You don't know what they're like. Stop saying that. You No, say, I like the appearance of what things are like. And if what you're looking like on this picture is what reality is, then I, you got to put some qualifications on stuff. Shoot. Help me. Because, see, them, them going all downtown and standing in f on the middle, you know what I'm saying, in front of City Hall, and y'all taking a power picture and all of that, that stuff ain't reality. Y'all ain't taking over the city. Y'all can barely, you understand what I'm saying? Come on, man. Get out of here, man. Y'all not. I don't receive that well, it doesn't matter. You can barely take over becoming one. How you gonna take a city and you can't take each other? See, God put them together but he blessed them. The word blessed in chapter 1 verse, verse 28 means endowed with the capability to do what I want you to do. So he has endowed them and empowered them in what he called them to do. Right? And when he does this, this is beautiful. They're supposed to subdue together. In other words, they're supposed to be creative artists that work on what it means to build everything from socioeconomic, political, legacy, globally. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what Adam and Eve were called to do. In the light of that reality, when we look at that and look at God's purposes in the marriage, community is where the first, we first find our significance, dignity, and our identity. I gotta go to the second point. Family, family must be filled with men leading the charge of commitment. Family must be filled with men leading, leading, somebody say leading. leading. Leading, ladies, does not mean a lack of your input. He can't lead without your input. Please know that. Jesus Christ in heaven, he cannot lead without your input. I'm telling you. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother. Now, what happened? God took Adam, said, come here, son. He said, Yahweh, yes. He said, sleep. <laughs> Some Jedi type stuff. <laughs> Fell into his arms, he laid him down. Gave him a good, 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 good Yahweh pill. He put his arm up, laid it on a rock or whatever. And Yahweh used his finger, cut him open on the side of his body. Boop, pulled a rib out. Fashioned it back in place like nothing happened. Adam wakes up. And Yahweh holds the rib. He said, I'll be right back. Go chill out over there with some lions or something. <laughs> because God wanted personal time. 
to form the woman without the man present. In other words, he wanted her to know, I made you, not him. Oh, ain't nobody gonna get that. Based on the text, Adam wasn't around when Eve was created because that was between God and her. And there's some things that God needs to do in your life without the presence of a man. There's some things that he needs to create. There's some things that he needs to shape. There's some things that he needs to form. But if your life is filled from relationship to relationship to relationship, you'll never be the woman. He forms her. How do I know that? Because he brings her to Adam. Listen, before you can be brought to somebody, you need to know who you are already. Yeah, that's good stuff. You, you got to know who you are. That means I've been with Yahweh. So I've seen the best man. See, if you haven't been with God for real, you'll take anything. And as, and, 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 as, and as a woman, your dignity is formed by Yahweh. Not by any man. Not by any relationship. No one else can tell you who you are. Because Adam already knew who he was because he had time with Yahweh before Eve ever existed. Therefore, God had time with Adam and he had to get some time with Eve. I don't know what the time lapse was between the time that Adam was with God and, he was, and, and Eve was created and what time lapse between Eve being created and him bringing him. I don't, the Bible doesn't tell us that. All we're clear on is they didn't bring themselves together. They didn't. They didn't bring themselves together. God brought them together. Don't force a mess. Then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Adam is talking to some lions and sheep, petting them. Roll over, roll over. Roll over, Simba. Dang, that was dope. That was dope. <laughs> then God says, Psst. And Adam turns around. And when he turns around, the B3 organ comes on. And he says, This at last is bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. At last, oh, at last. Hey, Lord. Yeah. Adam was happy. He says, at last, 
God made the first hip hop hook, Adam made the first ballad. <laughs> and he says, at last, he said, this one at last is bone of my bone. How did he know that? Because God told him, I took her from you. He didn't know. He said, flesh of my flesh. This one, she's a different species. This isn't her name. He calls her a species. She's me with a womb. For she was taken out of man. Then he begins to prophesy. How do I know he prophesied? Because he had never heard of a father and mother. Woman so blew Adam's mind. He said, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds to his wife. See, when a real woman who's been with God is brought by God to man, men become committed. Why? Because he says, for this cause, a man leaves, he abandons other relationships in humanity as central and turns. In other words, she's not the ball and chain. I, in other words, because God has shaped her, God has caused her to earn my commitment. And he said, for this cause, a man bonds or clings to his wife. This is not merely sexual. It's not. It's about a statement of commitment in relationship. Let me explain something to you. Men need to be committed. Men need to be clear on what they want. Men shouldn't be begged for vision. Men shouldn't be begged for direction. Men should not, because God has anointed men to be able to have the capacity to hold on to one woman. He's given this capacity to us. God never asked you to do anything he hasn't anointed you with the capacity to do. Wish I had time just for this part, but I got one more part. I gotta, ah, but I'm just trying to tell you that this bond... This bond is glorious. And this bond is glorious. In other words, when God puts a family together, a husband's bond to his wife creates the family culture. What your family sees out of your commitment to your wife, gents, is what they view as family culture. I caught myself talking crazy to my wife, raising my voice. And my children were around, I got used to it a little bit. And I heard my son kind of get a little bass in his voice. And I was like, Negro, come here. <laughs> and I began jamming him up. And God was like, he got it from you. He got it from you. And I had to rethink that and said, if you want him to change, you change. Because he learns how to talk to a woman, Eric, from you. 
I was talking at his siblings in a particular way. They began to talk to each other the way I talked to them. Everything is a leadership mirror of your health in the home. And, if, and you got to be self-aware enough and Holy Ghost submissive enough to respond. Because as the leader in the home, sometimes you can justify it. Oh, this is discipline. Oh, this is what you got to do. Proverbs says, shut up and repent. That's what the Bible says. That's what God had to do in me, and he's still doing it in me. Last point, because I got to move. <sighs> Family must be nurtured through emotionally available people. Family must be nurtured through emotionally available people. Now, at the end of the verse, it talks about that the two shall become one. Oneness is a process and an event, but it's more of a process than an event. <laughs> go, to, go to two, become one, and you'll learn more about that. Verse 25. Now, this is commentary, not verbiage from Adam. This is Moses' commentary from the Holy Spirit on their relationship. But the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. This is good. <laughs> In other words, they had emotional freedom. The word for naked is not about nudity and sexuality. It's about vulnerability. It's about relational vulnerability. Naked, not ashamed means there was no fear of exploitation in the relationship. Let's, let's talk for a minute as we land this. Can I talk for a few more minutes before we land this? Many of us have been in a lot of premarital relationships. But Adam and Eve only had a relationship with Yahweh before getting with each other. So they didn't have broken hearts. They didn't have relationship challenges that played into them being able to become one. Because to be emotionally vulnerable and free from exploitation means that they were freed up to become one. One of the things that so many of us need is excavation of soul ties. Many of you have to learn how to take a season and be single. You need to stop hiding in relationships because you're lonely. You need to give yourself a massive season not that it's all worked out. I don't want to give like all of your, all of your sin is worked out. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a level of soul ties that's in some of you all 
that you carry into other relationships. And what end up happening is you have expectations on people based on experiences that you had with someone else. And therefore you're comparing who's in front of you to who's behind you, but you have so much behind you and in you that you can't even begin to get to know, get to develop, get to be strengthened, get to be graced with the beauty and glory of what it means to walk in biblical oneness. Many of us have been so exploited in relationships and in the family. And you need to learn how to be self-aware of those things. You need people and community in your life to see it. And you need to listen to what God says to you through people. All of us. That's why this idea of family is so important. That's why the church is an extended family. For community, because it's to have help with our exploitation, have help with our need to be vulnerable, because when a household is vulnerable, pride is out. Humility is in, and there's honesty all over the place. Who does that? What, what makes you able to do that? The gospel. The only way that you can be vulnerable with your spouse. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if you get married? And it's time to be intimate. One of the spouses seems standoffish. And you don't understand why you get mad because you're being depraved. See, honesty and godliness and commitment doesn't just get mad. It heart investigates. Because that person may have been raped. That person may have been molested. And coming together may remind them of that. Vulnerability is the ability to say you were dealing with it. And that's not beating the person up that was victimized. But on the other hand, marriage requires more than just a bedroom. Before a marriage gets a bedroom, it first has to have a living room. And what Jesus does is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, gives you the ability to be vulnerable. Why? Because they were not fear, they didn't fear exploitation. Why? Because that means they could be vulnerable with each other without feeling or expecting backlash for their honesty. Can you imagine a husband and wife who grow in their commitment to vulnerability to one another, have children, and build a family of authentic community? Where children hear dad repenting to mommy. They hear mommy repenting to daddy. God is not expecting perfection out of you. He's expecting honesty, sanctification, and repentance from you. Perfection is his job, not yours. Oh, I, that, I said something right there. I'm just trying to let you know. The work of perfection is a work of God, not a work of yourself. God, and so, and, so, and so in that reality, Christ restores and redeems, and he consistently resurrects your capacity to be vulnerable and help you to walk through your exploitation. All I'm saying, and I'm done, is God created this thing, and this is our, his idea. And as messed up as we are, we have help through Jesus Christ. So for the single person, I encourage you, 
Allow God to know that your life has purpose now. For the married person who's failed or failing, I want to encourage you that God is still at work in your marriage and he can redeem it. For the divorced person hearing these things and feeling guilty because you know you blew it, there's redemption for you. For the single parent that's dealing with some challenges with being a single parent and feeling like they've made some mistakes, there's grace for you, there's strength for you, there's value for you, and there's a God that meets you in the midst of that. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father. That we don't live without help from heaven. We live with help from our God. And one of the most beautiful things, King of Kings, we thank you. That family is your creation. And so much of who you called us to be and who you want us to be is shaped by you. And God, the first step to that reality is knowing Jesus Christ the Savior. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who really gives you significance, dignity, and identity. Families only help shape what he's already given. But it begins with God. And maybe you're here and you're struggling with your significance, your purpose, struggling with your dignity, your value, and you're struggling with your identity, who you are. God, through Jesus Christ, can restore that to you through coming into a relationship with him. If you're here and you want God to restore your significance, it's only in him. You want him to restore your dignity and your identity. It's only in him. He can restore it today. If that's you, hold your hand in the air. Say, if you want to trust Jesus Christ to save you, say, I want to put Christ is the way. His death on the cross and his resurrection restores those things. If that's you, hold your hand in the air. I see that hand. I see those hands, both of them. Anybody else? I see another hand right here. I see this hand right here. I see this hand. Hold those hands up high for me. Hi, so we can see him. We, want, we don't want to miss anybody. I see your hand, brother. Another hand went up. I see you. I see this hand, sister, right here. Yeah, I see her hand already. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Hold your hand up in the air. <clears throat> Anyone else? I see this hand. You just popped up. I see you. I see this hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see your hand. I see your hand. What's up? What's up? I see a hand. So one more went up right there. God can restore it. So y'all come to the middle. Y'all come to the middle. We're excited. We're excited. Yes. Yes. Anyone else? We're not, we don't want to miss you. This is one of the most important decisions in life you can make. It's to place your confidence and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Hold your hand up real high. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Significance, up in the balcony. Up in the balcony. Hold your hand up real high. 
Someone's hand went up in the balcony. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're a little over, but that's okay. This is important enough to hold out for. I see your hand. I see your hand. Yeah. Anyone else that says yes, I want to say yes to Christ. I see you. We'll wait for you. We'll wait for you, brother. Come on down. We'll wait for you. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for your mercy, God. <clears throat> Living God, I thank you for these who are coming forward to seek their significance, dignity, and identity in you and you alone. <clears throat> God, thank you that you are not just the restorer, but you are the creator of that. And it only happens through being connected to you. God, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that you would touch each and every person, man and woman, that's come up here saying, I want to seek my significance, dignity, and identity in you. Why? Because you restore that to us through the resurrection, through the death and resurrection. And Lord God, I pray that these professions of faith would be locked and loaded for soul transformation and for a lifetime of discipleship. We give you honor, we give you glory, and we give you praise, uh, Lord God, for these seven people who've come forward to seek you, God, in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. You ought to give God some glory. You got to give God some glory for the mighty things that he has done. I, I, I counselors just want to, our team, want to just talk to you real quick, talk to you about the decision you just made. So if you just give us just about five minutes of your time, they're going to lead you out so you can follow this young gentleman right here. Let's give God a hand praise for his work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Is he a mighty God? He's a mighty God. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.